0: Good morning. Good morning. Charlotte and I were away for about a week and a half. We went to see our son in Oregon. You can pray for him. His name's Marcus. He needs a lot of prayer. And then we also got to go to, the, to uh, Depot Bay, which is on the Oregon coast, which I guess is the place where you go watch whales. So we saw like one tail. <laughs> and it was of a whale. So that's not a tail. It's true. <laughs> anyway. Um, but I, we did watch in last week and to hear, because uh, I really wanted to be here for the mission Sunday. Fantastic. Just what the Lord's doing. In fact, uh, Dale Dan, Dale, would you stand up just a moment? He leaves for Uganda on Tuesday for a 10-day missions trip. That trip has been delayed because of the Ebola breakout. Okay, sit down. No. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. So how long? <coughs> Whenever Ebola goes away. Okay. All right. And then keep praying for our Macedonia trip. So at some point, you hope you're going. Okay. Uh, and then also outside is, our, there's a table that you'll see over there. It's our citizen stewardship table. We want to continue through now. I think it's three and a half weeks until the midterm, or is it two, two plus weeks? Two plus. So as you know, I'm sure you're really aware of it. Some maybe to more degree than others. We need... <laughs> the Lord, to intervene in our nation. And we have an, a freedom, a gift from God to be able to be a part of that. We, the people, are our government. So we just need to stay at, stay at it. So that's out there for you. You can look at the, uh, the um, what do they call them? The petitions, yeah. Uh, to read them if you want. We're, not, we're just saying you read it, you find out, and sign it if, you, if you're in agreement with that. And then also just to be praying for our nation. Uh, on, what was it, was it Wednesday night when we were gone? Um, Jack Hibbs, how many of you know Jack Hibbs? He's pastor of Chino, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. He had what I thought was an incredible happening now session this past week where he's talking about the issue of abortion and just really uh, and exhorting, but then also just informing, like we want to do here. Just It's education that leads to the encouragement that we Absolutely, can know what's going on, and then through that, do something about it. So I'm going to encourage you to watch that if you can. It's called Happening Now. Uh, It was, I think, Wednesday night that we watched that. So another thing also that uh, came to mind as I was sitting down, a great little uh, companion book for the for what we're studying, Hebrews chapter 11 on faith, is a book that's called Salvation by Allegiance Alone. It's by Matthew Bates. I don't have a picture because I was just thinking of it. I have it with me. Um, I would encourage you. I'm only about maybe halfway through it. But the whole book is is on the the Greek word pistis, which is faith. And he's talking about just what that means and what that looks like. But the thing that really strikes me about it is he says the best word, going into our study this morning, the best word English-wise to translate that Greek word would be allegiance. We have an allegiance to our king, an allegiance to his kingdom. That's what faith is. It's more than just sort of a mental assent, but this book. So I'm going I'll encourage you to get that book and read it along. It's a great um, companion, like I said, to this study. And we're, gonna go th- we're going through Hebrews 11 slow. We're slowing, we're slowing way down. This morning we got one verse. Of Abel, so would you stand? I'd like to read that together in honoring God's word. We love God's word. We understand that it is, when when we read it, listen to it, memorize it, whatever, that God is speaking every time. It's alive and powerful, unlike any other book that we'll ever pick up. Is the Bible, our our, our Bibles. So in Hebrews 11, I'm going to read the first uh, four verses. Then I want to jump down down to Hebrews 12:24 to incorporate uh, a couple of ver- verses concerning. Uh, Abel. So in verse 1 of chapter 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Pistis. For by, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. We talked about that in our last study. Verse 4. By faith Abel offered to God A more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Notice, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. Abel. Now look at chapter 12, if you would, flip there, verse 22. The writer writes, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, To an immutable, innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church, of general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are who are registered in heaven, to God. Again, he says to the general assembly, the firstborn registered in heaven, to God, the Judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the Mediator of the new covenant. And the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Let's pray. Lord, we know and understand our need for your Holy Spirit to teach us all things, to instruct us. You've given us of your Spirit to guide us and lead us and speak to us. And Lord, the things that I've prepared, unless you take these things anoint, break them fresh, feed us, Lord, you're gonna, it's just not going to do what you want to do. So, Lord, we know we need you this morning more than ever to speak to our hearts, to grant us these things of the truths into our hearts that we might grow in our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and we would not become stagnant or slip away or drift away or any of the things that we've read already in the book of Hebrews. Grant us, I pray, ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Soften our hearts, Lord, and grant us that we might leave here this morning having heard from you as you speak to us now through your word in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So there's a passage in Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, where it says, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, which we will be looking at in Hebrews, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul is expressing something that this quote takes up by Emil Brunner. says, quote, In Christianity, faith in the mediator is not something optional, not something about which in the last resort it is possible to hold different opinions if we're only united on, quote, the main point. For faith in the mediator, in the event which took place once for all, a revealed atonement is the Christian religion itself. It is the main point. It is not something alongside of the center. It is the substance and kernel, not the husk. This is so true that we may even say, In distinction from all other forms of religion, the Christian religion is faith in the one mediator, and there is no other possibility of being a Christian than through faith in that which took place once for all. Again, he uses this word revelation and atonement through the mediator, unquote. So we're going to look at a little bit of that this morning. Our commentary on this one verse in Hebrews is found in Genesis chapter 4. I'm not going to have those verses up there. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. We'll go through this somewhat verse by verse. But before Genesis 4 is chapter 3 of Genesis. Did you know that? Okay. Something happened in Genesis chapter 3. From the beauty, perfection, and innocence, when all was very good, to the ugliness of sin, when everything went very bad. Jealousy, anger, we'll see these things in Cain, and murder, wickedness, corruption, and rebellion, a curse, judgment, and death. What happened? Paul tells in Romans chapter five, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin by nature. That's what happened. Whether we like it or not, sin happened. And it is impossible for us to change it. Man sinned against God after that incredible beginning creation came, the fall, the catastrophic beginning of sin and death entering the world. So, a sinner by fallen nature cannot correct the wrong, can't change him or herself at core level as a sinner, much less save him or, horse or herself. Jesus put it this way with men, that's impossible, but he didn't end there. But with God, what did he say? All things are possible. The Bible. Is God Himself going on record that He would deal with sin right from the beginning all the way until it is finished? He Himself would deal with sin precisely, prophetically, perfectly, and personally. He himself would deal with sin in all of time and for all eternity. God the Father dealt with sin by sending his only begotten son to die on a cross that our sins might be forgiven, washed away, and taken care of forever. Now, I know this is basic one-on-one, but let me say that again. We've been saved by the work of Jesus Christ, completely and for all eternity. So the first person in this hall of faith is this this brother and son named Abel. In him, as he begins this whole beginning, go now through the hall of faith, in him we're seeing what faith is, as we will in the other ones. Romans chapter 5, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Would you say amen? God dealing with sin. For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Romans 5:20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Literally, grace superabounded. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. 2 Corinthians. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God dealt with sin precisely, prophetically, perfectly, and personally. From beginning to its finished, our faith is in what Jesus did for us in and on the cross. In Genesis 4, sin and the sinner, Cain and Abel, Verse 4, chapter 1, read with me. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. The name Cain means acquired one. The root verb means to acquire or create the gotten one. In Genesis 3.15, right after the fall, God promised, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, mortal wounding, and you shall bruise his heel, temporary wounding, prophetically of Jesus' coming as God's promised Messiah. The name Abel means to breathe or vapor. The noun means in the negative sense of having no substance. But check this out as far as Abel goes. Abel knew he was nothing without God. What a place to discover. James tells us these lies are like vapors, and they are. But without God, all of life is empty meaningless. So Abel means breath or vapor. He knew he was nothing without God. That's just a first little check mark, in the life of Abel versus Cain, because we have these comparisons. The name Cain, 21 times in the Bible, 18 times in Genesis chapter 4, three times in the New Testament. Note, nowhere else. The the name Abel, Is 25 times in the Bible, 8 times in Genesis 4, 4 times in the New Testament, 13 times the name Abel is assigned to geographical locations, so 12 times as far as the use of Abel, his name. Now, a couple other notes. The word brother is found seven times in Genesis chapter 4, referring to Cain and Abel. They were brothers. But get this. Three times, it's his brother Abel by birth. One time, am I my brother's keeper? And then three times, your brother and his blood. So it has this, again, just sort of discovering, if if it's that for you, or just thinking through Cain and Abel. They were brothers by birth. In fact, there were no other parents around at the time. They had no grandparents. And then we're going to see what happened because of what was going on in Cain's heart before God. He killed him. He murdered him. And so three times, what about your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? So Cain and Abel were the same, created in the image of God. They were human. They were both born after the fall of Adam and Eve. Both were born sinners. They were both born outside of the garden. Both had the same beginning geographically, same environment. Both had the same parents. They were brothers. Both had a knowledge of God, and both were equally loved and valued in the eyes of God. But Cain and they were also different because they were created for relationship with God individually. So Cain was the firstborn, Abel the second. They were completely unique human beings in personality in preference, in gifting, in talents, in likes and dislikes. Why? Because God desires an individual personal relationship with each of them. Him and them, he and him alone, Abel or Cain. It's no different this morning in this room. It's the same thing. We're all created in the image of God. We are human. No other part of the creation can say that but were also created differently for a relationship with God individually. It's true for everyone in this room this morning. It says, though both were equally loved by God, and though both had a knowledge of God, they were very different in how they responded to God. What was going in their hearts before God? Cain and Abel, here's call it a main theme, if you would. The difference was in their attitude towards sin. That's the difference. And because of that attitude towards sin, it also was different in their relationship with God. It's no different for us in the room this morning. What is our attitude toward sin? It has a direct relationship to our relationship, our attitude toward God. Hebrews 11.4, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Something was different. They both brought the sacrifice, but something was different in what was going on in the heart of Cain. In the heart of Abel concerning sin and their relationship with God. Romans 10:17. I say it often when I'm beginning when I pray for the study. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's how we know these things about God. That these are the revelation that God gives to us. And there had been divine revelation a very clear prior understanding for both Cain and Abel concerning sin and their relationship with God. So it says in Genesis 3.21, if you look, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord's God made tunics of skin and clothed them. When they sinned and tried to hide with fig leaves, God came and covered them with a sacrifice a blood sacrifice. The animal sacrifice to cover their nakedness and shame before God. Clear. Then we read in verse 22 of Genesis 3, in closing the chapter, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil, and now let us put out, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat, and notice, live forever. In their sin. God said, hold on, lest that happen, lest they take of the tree of life and live forever in their sin. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. That is the mercy and grace of God until he finished the work through his son, Jesus Christ. This is what was happening in Genesis chapter 3. So when we get to Genesis 4. These revelations had already taken place. In fact, it's at least 100 plus years that Adam and Eve understood these things and were taking their sons through the, whatever it was that they were doing. We're not told clearly on that. But they were seeing Adam and Eve's faith in knowing that God covered them with blood sacrifice. We'll see this in a moment. Sin requires a substitute sacrifice. Sin requires a substitute substitute sacrifice, but not just any sacrifice. Sin requires a substitute sacrifice God will accept. Sin required, therefore, the substitute sacrifice of Jesus, who died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin, taking care of the wrath of God and all the penalties and releasing now to us, through his work, the mercy of God. This revelation, notice verse 3 of chapter 4. And in the process of time, may be understood at a designated time, Cain brought, Abel also brought, and it appears to be a designated place. I believe it was. It might even be a shadow of the Sabbath. It might be a shadow of the altar. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. countenance fell there was a difference in their offerings. It was a heart difference. Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel brought the firstborn, the best of the flock, the fattest. The problem here is evidenced by Cain's response to his offering. Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. It's interesting to know and see someone who is hardening their heart to God, and they just get more mad and more angry. They don't want to hear it. That's a sad thing to begin to see happening in someone's life. God the Holy Spirit now fills in in the New Testament the gaps at what was in the heart of Cain and Abel. Their attitude that we're reading about in this one verse in Hebrews. So three times in the New Testament, we read of Cain. You know what we read? Woe, the way, and the wicked. In Jude chapter, woe to them. Who? The apostate, the greedy, the rebels. For they have gone in the way of Cain, which is the way of sin. Have run greedily in the area of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. It's Cain. First John. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one. Now, this is very clear. What's the problem? His father is the devil. They accused Jesus of that. Jesus put it back on them. And it says there, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. There is a stream, a root from which Cain was operating. It was wicked. It was evil. It was rebellious. It was murderous. It was hateful. In the New Testament, we read Abel four times. And what do we read about him? Righteous, righteous, righteous. How? By his faith. In the sacrifice, by his faith and how he came to God concerning his relationship with God and the sin that would be in the way of that. So in these two passages in Hebrews, by faith Abel offered to God, Hebrews 12, 24, the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. This is prophetic because he says there that speak better things than that of Abel. He's still speaking. Are we listening? Are we listening? Abel understood the need for a sacrifice. Abel understood the need for a sacrifice that was acceptable to God, whatever he thought about it. Abel's blood, the blood of a righteous man, cries out to the Lord, not, he cries out what? Vengeance. Speaks better things than that of Abel. What is is Abel's blood? Vengeance, vengeance, vengeance. But the blood of Jesus Christ cries, mercy, mercy, mercy. Abel's blood, the blood of a righteous man, cannot atone for sin. He knew that himself. Only the blood of Christ atones for sin through Jesus who knew no sin. Sin requires a substitute sacrifice. Requires a substitute sacrifice, but not just any sacrifice. Sin requires a substitute sacrifice God will accept, and the only substitute sacrifice that God accepts is the one of His perfect Son died on a cross for my sin. I know, brothers and sisters, many of you, this is Christianity one hundred and one, but let me see—it's Christianity one hundred and one, and two hundred and one, and three hundred and one, and you—it's the higher and the highest of anything we can ever take in and consider and reconsider day in and day out. What is my attitude towards sin? Do I understand the cost? Do I understand what God planned to do because of His mercy? Abel's way was the way of faith in God's revelation. And so is ours, as believers. Cain, on the other hand, was the way of pride that scoffs at the revelation of God. When human reasoning replaces divine revelation, you have scoffing. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God, through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. What is the message preached? Jesus died for your sins on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and release the mercy of God that you might have a relationship with him both now and through all eternity. Well, that sounds rather foolish. Indeed, it does. But that's the wisdom of God. He goes on. For Jews request a sign... And Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, speaking better things than that of Abel, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. How powerful is that simple message that's transformed our lives when we believed it, when we gave to Jesus our allegiance as Lord and King over our lives. The fact is, we are elevating Cain to an ever-increasing, higher-ranking among us. How so? Cain sits at the anchor desk of most of the hour of news broadcasts. Cain edits most of the blogs, papers, and magazines that you read online. Cain is president of most learning institutions teaching most of the classes. Cain has been ordained to the ministry by many religious institutions. It's an attitude about sin that brings with it an attitude about God. Hebrews 12 tells us, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him and spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Hebrews chapter 10, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated us, for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, pistis, allegiance, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. Abel's was the way of faith in what God had said he requires and accepts. Cain was the way of pride that says, I'm coming on my own terms. I'm going to come my own way. There's always an abrupt ending to that at death. Cain was very angry that God did not respect his offering. He was very angry that God would not accept that offering. Angry that God did not respect and rather able, so the jealousy and envy there. Which, by the way, remember Jesus was killed for envy. He was very angry that God pre- prescribed way was not what he wanted. See, this is what happens in these kind of responses to sin. He was angry because God, you should be pleased with me. For all, I'm, I'm a good guy. It's not true. And God exposes that because he wants to save us from that. Abel's was the way of faith in God's prescribed way and provision. We must come to God in his way on his terms. And when we do, he will in no wise cast us out. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will, not you be, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. You should master it. So he, God is telling Cain, sin is wanting to destroy you. It's crouching at your door. It's ready for you just to put a little crack. He'll get in. The sin will come in. The woe, the way, the wicked one the heart. Cain was rebellious and devised his own way to approach God. Envious of Abel, Cain was becoming more and more mastered by sin, which is what happens. That's why Hebrews warned us, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Soften it. Soften it. Cain would not be talked out of or reasoned concerning sin. He continued to deny his sin, became more, more and more hostile to God because of it. Eventually, Cain's anger toward God would be taking out in murdering his brother. And Jesus warned us about anger. Anger leads to murder. Anger in the heart is like murder carried out. Cain's problem was in his heart towards God and Abel's faith, listen, is what exposed him. That's what happens. Abel's the way of faith, Cain the way of sin. And so Cain talked with his brother it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. The sin of premeditated murder because God, because Cain sinned in hating his brother. Because he hated Abel's faith in God. We can expect that. Abel was the first one of the human race to die, he was the first one of the human race to be murdered. You know why? Because of his faith in God. Wow. Yeah. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, verses verse 9, I do not know, so he's lying to God. Am I my brother's keeper? He's denying knowledge and any responsibility for his own sin. And he said, "What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you, and fugitive, a fugitive and a vagabond shall you be on the earth." And Cain said to the Lord, "My punishment is greater than I can bear." I, than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. These are legit. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. I don't know what that mark is. A lot of conjecture. But the bottom line is Cain was punished for his sin. Why? He was not killed by God for his sin. He was punished. We see here the marvelous mercy of God concerning a rebellious, wicked man. He didn't kill him. Isaiah 30, therefore the Lord will wait That he may be be gracious to you and therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. That's God's heart. Always is, always has been, and always will be. Second Peter, Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Not only any should perish, but all should come to what? Repentance, attitude towards sin. Cain was some 730 years old when he died. How many want to live to be 730? <laughs> Thank you. And from the New Testament record, it never, his heart never changed. That's tragic. If you take 730 years and ratio, ratio it out to an 80-year-old life, being 11 years old, when God sought to free you from your sin, God came It was dealing with you. And then for 69 more years, things never changed. That's what happens. That's what sin does. We're not dealt with. We're not realizing this thing Call sin. And my attitude towards it is everything concerning my relationship with God. Are you not thankful for the chastening of the Lord? Are you not thankful when the Lord loves He chastens? And when there's sin in your life, when there's sin in my life, and God's wanting to speak to me and deal with that in my life, it's painful. But in the end. I become a partaker of his holiness. It's worth the trade. It's worth the dealings. Abel's murder was very, very sad, but being that Abel died in faith, Cain's unrepentant heart and dying in his sin is infinitely sadder. This is an evangelistic message. Would you not say that? Are you in your heart right with God? Have you changed your mind about your sin before God? See, as believers, we have the Holy Spirit of God who's the unction, drawing us, drawing us. But as an unbeliever, you have the Holy Spirit convicting you in your own mind and heart concerning what God says about sin and how it affects your relationship with Him. You can believe what you want. You can desire whatever you want. But what is the truth? What is the reality? What is it you're putting your faith in? Because there's only one who can save us from our sin. There's only one mediator between God and men, the man, capital M, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. I declare to you this morning the foolishness of God by the, through the message preached that Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on a cross. God put on him all your sin. He died in your place. He's the substitute sacrifice for all sin, yours personally. And when he died, The wrath of God was satisfied. He completed the work. He started to, it was finished. And now what he says through the gospel, this foolishness of a message. He's saying to you, I have taken care of your sin on the cross. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Do you understand your need for it? Do you believe it? And are you willing to come in repentance before God and receive his full attention, and say, yes, I hear what you're asking. I hear what you're confessing. And now I apply the work that I've completed for you, the blood of the cross, to your life. And I take you as my child, and so shall you ever be in the family of God. Have you done that this morning? Because if not, you are in danger, great danger. You're not here by accident. You're not here because of some obscure something. No, you are here because God put you here this morning. He wants you to know him. And then the application also to us who are believers is to take to heart this morning afresh, again, anew, very simply. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain but he washed it white as snow. And we are told to come boldly to the throne of grace that we obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We are told to come and confess our sins. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have you received that afresh today? Yesterday? So as we close, and I can have the worship team come up, as we're closing in song, whether you're a believer this morning or you're not a believer, these next few minutes for both of us is to close ourselves in before God and say, thank you. I'm going to come and worship you. My heart bent before you. My life opened for your scrutiny. Whatever you're doing, Lord, we want to receive from Him, salvation, sanctification. Together this morning in this room, let us allow the Holy Spirit now to move among us as we worship Him. Would you stand together?